0: All right. It is the week of April 3rd, 2023, and this is the Fight Business Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Ogier. And today we're going to focus our episode mostly on the official news now that Endeavor has indeed purchased the WWE through a reverse Morris Trust by combining it with the UFC. So I talked about this on the show last week. It's huge news. It's all we're going to really focus on today. First, we're going to talk about some more financial details that we found out about the merger itself. Then we're going to break down the why Endeavor did this. So last week, again, I touched on the how in terms of how reverse Morse Trust works, how the Endeavor could pull this off. Touched a little bit on the why, but this week we're going to really dive deep into the why Endeavor is doing this. Uh, We're going to talk about the business strategy behind it, the Changes that could come to the UFC, if any. Will this affect the UFC's new broadcast media rights deal that's coming up? We're going to break all of that down. And then for the first time in the show's history, I believe we're going to end on a quick hits. Because again, we've only got really one main topic that we're going to break into segments. So timestamps are going to be at the bottom as always. And let's go ahead and dive right in. All right. So first thing we're going to do is talk about the latest details we have on the merger with uh, Endeavor and WWE some new information we've gotten uh, big shout out to at Jedi Goodman on Twitter um, always on top of big news in the MMA space this is no different and he has been nice enough to put up the slides from the Endeavor investor presentation onto Twitter so you can follow along with me if you'd like uh, again go to at Jedi Goodman and it is a tweet from 707 a.m. April 3rd Might be eight, depending on your time zone, how that works. But uh, to just go through this, what we're going to do is go slide by slide and break down the information within them. The other thing I'm going to do while we do this is talk about the caveats that come with these numbers. Because probably the biggest and most important caveat up front was someone who has helped create some of these presentations, albeit for smaller startups. But I've been the guy that's been throwing slide decks together for investor presentations or pitch decks. Data can tell many different stories. It is not always black and white as some people would believe, right? Um, There are a lot of different ways to arrange data to tell one narrative versus another. And the people that are doing this are telling a narrative with quite a bit of intent. The way that your mind might immediately assume something or jump to something on face value. That is intended by the author of these slide decks. It's not to say that it's false information or you know that would be fraud. But again, there are ways to change numbers and data or to base off certain things and add little caveats or context where you might immediately jump to something on the surface or you know, through an assumption that isn't quite exactly what's happening behind the scenes. So don't take everything at face value here. I'll help break down what I know uh, as we go through these. But uh, yeah, there are tips and tricks people use all the time when creating these decks to point your conclusions in a certain direction. So with that in mind, uh, let's go ahead and start here. At the transaction overview slide so just looking at this right um if if you're looking at it with me the first thing that's said is endeavor to form a 21 billion dollar global pure play live sports and entertainment company comprised of ufc and wwe right off the bat they're saying it's going to form a 21 billion plus entity now that number comes from the combination valuation of the ufc being valued at you know 12.9 or or close to 12 billion dollars and then WWE at a 9 billion dollar valuation. Those numbers are not their current financials today. The amount of people I see that take those numbers and run with them and say, wow like WWE is worth 9 billion that's crazy. No, that is according to analysts who are thinking about future forward earnings as well as intangibles with IP they're valuing it at a premium compared to what's actually being backed up by financials. Now, the majority of the time, you know, we're not talking about crazy mismatch valuations, right? Um, but sometimes that does happen. An example of that, right? WeWork, if you remember that story, and now they're doing the whole, I think it's Apple TV, right? With Jared Leto and Anne Hathaway, they've done the WeWork saga. At one point it was valued at $47 billion in terms of evaluation. Um, I think now it trades at like 69 cents and it quickly dropped below a billion after the whole scandal, right? Um, where SoftBank was was trying to sell it and there was no appetite for it and it kind of just fell. I mean, that valuation, a couple months passed and billions, tens of billions of dollars were removed, right? I mean, just just so much money. <laughs> from the valuation so don't look at 12 billion and 9 billion and think this is absolutely what just their pure hard financial support right now wwe and ufc keep in mind are not we work right they are not trying to say they're a technology company when they're just renting out office space and and all that stuff no they're, they're not this web web of of misleading and then all the other stuff that we work was wwe and the ufc both are very profitable companies that again forward thinking could they eventually be worth 12 billion ufc and wwe nine yeah it's not it's not implausible at all but they're not there today it's taking a lot of future things into account. So don't just say, "Oh, that's how much they're worth today," because that's the first thing I see a lot of people doing right now, and that's not how that works. Um, and it goes on to talk about, you know, how it's going to form Newco. It's first of all, the name of the company is not Newco. That's just the way that reverse Morris trusts are listed as "Hey Nuco, until they come up with an official name. Uh, stock tickers TKO is what they're talking about, but they don't have a name for the company yet. It's just, "Hey, this is going to happen," and. For all intents and purposes of this presentation, uh, we're going to call this new company NUCO, but that's not actually what they're going to name the company, although that would be hilarious if they tried to name it that. Um, It's going to be owned 51% by Endeavor, 49% by WWE shareholders. Again, not shocking based on last week's video. Uh, NUCO will be capitalized with $150 million cash at closing. Endeavor and WWE are permitted to retain certain excess cash as part of the closing and public shareholders of this new company are expected to receive a post-closing dividend. So once the transaction is done, that means shareholders of the new company, which will be Endeavor shareholders and WWE shareholders will get extra money in a dividend. How much will depend on how many shares, right? Uh, Vince McMahon, his shares are diluting from around 28% or 39%. I've heard, I think it's 28 something. Um, to down to 14.9%. He's going to get a dividend though, on top of that. And it will probably be pretty high given the amount of shares he has. Right. Um, he's, he's getting some cash. A lot of it though, isn't, you know, a sellout for McMahon. That's a whole nother reason why he's doing it, which we'll break down here later. Um, talk about the board of directors. Going to be 11 seats total, six Endeavor, five WWE. Each will have three independent directors um, as we know, independent directors are sometimes less independent than you might think. It's not, you know, someone that's clearly way out of nowhere. Usually, it they have some ties to someone, um, but they are supposed to be independent, right? They're not part of actual Endeavor or WWE. That's the main caveat there is is that's what they really mean by independent directors. Um new co-financials will be consolidated. So that's a big thing to note because whereas with Endeavor, we could kind of sift out what the UFC's financials were because they were lumped in with uh, professional bull riding and a Euro league. And at one point, you know, the, the couple of minor league baseball teams, you knew that the majority of the money and expenses was the UFC. Um, you didn't know the exact numbers, but you could kind of flesh that out. Now... And, and you always knew WWE's, right? Because WWE was just its own standalone company. Now it's going to get a little bit more opaque. Um, I'm sure they will break it down just as Endeavor does with their portfolio saying like, hey, this is what the finances were here, here. But whether they break it down as just pure, like here's UFC numbers and here's WWE numbers, far more likely they'll break it down in different segments um, where, yes, you'll have Discussions and highlights of here's how live events did, right? But they'll probably do UFC and WWE live events together. They want to make it a little, little opaque. They don't want you to be able to look at their numbers and as straight off, right? Generally. So this will make it a little bit harder to kind of flesh some of that out. And transactions anticipated to be closed by the end of 2023. So they expect to get this done by this. This year, which is not super surprising again with the reverse Morse trust. <clears throat> All right. Um, next up, we've got a slide talking about, uh, you know, value creation at UFC since acquisition. So this talks about, um, you know, the again, 2016 enterprise value and then today's enterprise value where it's saying UFC was 4.1 billion when Endeavor bought it in 2016. Now it's worth 12.1. Got to take into account, again, lots of other caveats here. This is not just pure financials. It is not <clears throat> that, you know, UFC is when you take away all the assets and liabilities and all that, it's it's as it stands right now is worth $12 billion. That's not the case. Um, it goes on to do a transaction value summary, which is interesting to note, right? Where you've got the enterprise value listed, less... Its current debt, so it has the UFC's debt here at 2.7 billion. So that gives you an idea of how much uh, Endeavor's debt was, right, when they purchased this, and it also kind of gives you a preview, I think, of how much debt will be pushed down to Nuco with the 2.7. So expect Endeavor to kind of write off, you know, 2.7 billion in debt. I don't know if it'll be exactly that number, but I think this gives you a little bit of a preview of that. So that Endeavor's overall debt will drop to 2.3, 2.4 billion instead of you know the five that they kind of have right now. Because it's saying UFC's debt is 2.7 billion. One would assume when you spin off the UFC and merge these companies, since Endeavor is allowed to push that debt down and then take back a special cash dividend, they will do that. It makes a lot of sense. Part of the reason they they use this method um equity value it has at 9.4 billion and 9 billion and then uh, <clears throat> it's got the FDSO to uh, I'm not going to go too much into the FDSO uh I mean what that is is it's equivalent from both money and convertible sc- it's I'm not going to break it down too much uh the contribution price if, if you want to break it down, you could look it up, but it's basically just an, another part of the transaction in terms of determining, you know, what the contribution price is and all this other stuff, right. Um, uh, for how much everybody's going to get per share. Uh, when you look at what that comes down to be from the UFC side, anyway, and not worried about WWE, um, contribution price is at $20 and 15 cents a share. And it's saying that WWE is worth $105 and 98 cents a share. So, you know, let me just look real quick at WWE share price here. But yeah, I mean, right now, WWE is trading at $97.23. So, you know, they're saying in this transaction that WWE share should be worth $105 or so. Well, 106, closer one hundred five ninety eight $105.98. So again, it's not saying that UFC shares, if we spun off the UFC today, would be exactly $20.15 $20. $20. because it all comes down to you know who's buying and selling. Uh, anytime you do an IPO, Endeavor's IPO, right? They IPO'd at a much higher rate than where they are now. That's just kind of how this works. Uh, but this is saying that it's, in their mind, this is the premium that WWE shares and UFC shares should be worth. All right, so we'll move on to the next slide. These are not hard and fast numbers based on fundamentals alone. That's the important part. All right. Um, when we get the to the slide it says opportunity to own two global sports and entertainment leaders in a single company. Um, they talk about four, you know, four, you know, benefits to this. Much must watch live and original content, large and young and diverse fan bases, best in class monetization. All just fluff, right? This is just mostly fluff. The last. Bullet point on that upcoming media rights renewals of both companies. We'll get back to that later, um, at a different part of the show. But I mean, a lot of just you know, hey, this is why it's so awesome to, and this is why it's a good opportunity for you, right? It's it's the pitch, part of the pitch, um, and then it breaks down revenue for each company. For the UFC, these percentages here, this is important to note because again, you can manipulate the data to tell a cert- certain story in some ways um for example we don't know exactly what you know these four segments entail you can take guesses at it right media one would assume is oh that's just broadcast media rights deal but does it also include pay-per-view kickbacks does it you know you'd assume yes but there it's it's kind of a a gray area here in some ways um in this particular case i'm going to assume yes because it's not Well, no, live events is eleven percent, so pay per views could technically be lumped into there, right? Like you could go either way. It, it's, it's a this is again tricks of the trade a little bit, but we're going to take them at face value or assume they're mostly accurate here, and and because they're percentages, we generally can, right? They're not saying specific numbers, all of that, and that is that for the UFC, five percent consumer products, so that's buying merch, all that fun stuff, uh, live events, gates are mostly what that is could technically be pay-per-view I'm assuming pay-per-view is in media but again the way it's worded I trust me I've seen certain contracts or certain breakdowns where they you would assume there's no way pay-per-view would be in live events well technically it is a live event and it is money based off of one particular live event yeah again I don't think that's the case here but so for this we're gonna assume it is um It's just gates, right? Just your, you know, live event gates or special events, that type of stuff. Um, 13% sponsorship, that's big. So, again, they've been pushing hard for more sponsorship uh, revenue. They've been growing that quite a bit in the past couple years. It's been a major push. Um, So the fact that that's the second largest source of revenue for the UFC, tells a lot. And then of course, 71% media. So that's the broadcast media rights. And we're assuming doesn't necessarily hundred percent true. It's an assumption, but we're going to, you know, again, roll with it that this includes pay-per-view. So I mean, that's most of their money, right? And you look at WWE, it's the same thing. It's not, I mean, not the exact same breakdown, Uh, you're basically swapping sponsorship and consumer products and adding a little bit more percentage to media. But it's all from broadcast media rights, which again, we'll talk about more here in a little bit. But it's important to note that people who want to say, oh, all the gates they're making and all this stuff, almost all their money comes from the ESPN deal and the pay-per-view buys. It's much more the static ESPN deal at this point. Um, Pay-per-view buys are, are a nice bonus, but yeah, that as well as media rights deals in, um, you know, outside of the ESPN as well in international countries we've talked about doubling up their UK rights this past year, uh, getting new deals in the Philippines and in various countries. Right um, when they doubled their media rights in China when Whaley won the belt, moving into Russia and other. I mean, they're they are going hard internationally to double those media rights. Ari has talked about that's been the average as they've gone through these renewals. It's been double what they originally got. That's where most of that 1.1 billion comes from. So let's move on to the next slide here. Um, Again, this is just multiple avenues for future growth. This is just business fluff, right? Uh, Maximize media rights values, yep. Uh, Enhance sponsorship opportunities, yep. Accelerate brand place brand and talent placement product licensing, okay, and then develop new forms of content. So the one thing, when you see through this business fluff, right, it's because again, like, what does maximize media rights value mean? Well, you know, we're gonna double up your uh, media rights in international places or enhance sponsorships. We're gonna get new sponsorships. But something this type of slide does is, you know, give a preview of where they want to go. The main areas they're looking for growth. So they're looking to increase media, increase sponsorship, but then brand and talent placement and product licensing. Licensing, that's a big one because that's talking about putting, you know, again, licensing for video games, uh, licensing for, you know, various things and brand placement of of putting UFC or WWE superstars on each other's programs, all that stuff right? That'll be interesting. And then new forms of content goes back to stuff like Ultimate Fighter or Tough Enough for WWE, right? That's creating new money-generating content. Um, that's always one of, you know, the, the pushes generally uh, for companies, especially in a merger, but not surprising here when media rights is such a huge part of it. Uh, next slide, again, um, leveraging Endeavor's flywheel to drive value creation uh, to global fan base expansion where plus 75 million fans in the UFC uh, fan base growth since January of 2021 entered new markets in France uh, investment in local stars, China and Mexico strong content promotion that right there is key. Um, Not the strong content promotion, but uh, the new markets right with France, but then investment in local stars, China and Mexico specifically called out. So, as I've mentioned on a couple other podcasts and some people have called me out on it, like, whoa, like one thing I said, for example, was at the time, Whaley getting a title shot, meritocracy wise didn't make any sense, right? I think Tisha Torres was the highest ranked fighter she had beat. She had beat uh, maybe Daniel Taylor Taylor and unranked. I forget exactly who before that. And then she got a title shot against the champ in China. It didn't make any merit you know since if that happened with several other people you'd be scratching your head like what like right like to think of of i don't I don't even know um just just pick any random type. think of oh, here's a good one right uh think of Alex Pereira who's who's fighting at UFC 287 he only fought a couple guys uh but he did fight some rank guys on the way up to Israel Adesanya but then imagine that they hosted it in Brazil when Adesanya's the champ, right? And and did a bunch of promotion, all this stuff. It's all about marketing and stars. It's part of the reason why they built the UFCPI in Shanghai. Um, and again, Mexico, another prime example, Alec- Alexa Grasso getting a title shot against Valentina Shevchenko. That was a little bit, in terms of merits, like okay, you could see this, right? But it still was a little bit of a well, there might be other people that maybe deserves a shot ahead of Alexa, but she was in contention at least. So you're not, you know, not head scratching too much. But the fact that she got the shot, Yair got the shot for the interim title, and then that they ran back Moreno Figgy four. A lot of people thought, okay, Moreno Figgy four made sense because of just the way everything worked out. Sure. I get that too. But the fact that you had three Mexican stars get title shots all around the same time, is a business tactic as well. And they also have built API in Mexico, right? That's like, if you want to know who's going to get the next push, look to where they're building the next UFC PI and then wait a bit and see if all of a sudden people from that country tend to get title shots. And this is not a... I need to clarify, this is not a, a nationality thing. I'm saying this is just a business tactic that Endeavor and the UFC uses. And I'm not saying any of those guys aren't worthy, right? They all won belts. They, they all deserve shots, obviously. It's just part of their strategy to move into a new market, build a PI. Uh, in China's case, right, they had the combine. Uh, they are, were looking and cultivating for local stars. They even call it out, investment in local stars. That's that's part of their strategy. So keep that in mind. As again, they look to expand and move into new markets. Um, let's get back to the slide here. So domestic media rights, meaningful AAV growth. This is prior contract, um, broad and strong relationships. I mean, that's again just you know another. Hey, we we've got good growth with what we're trying to do here. It's not. It's not anything you know. It's it's not a it's mostly fluff, um, but you know, it, it's there. There aren't as much things as we can extrapolate from the last part of the slide. Uh, international media rights, hundred percent AAV growth. Um, you know, and that's average annual value, right? They say at the bottom of the slide. Sorry, I should have called that out. But um, uh, you know, leader in international rights with thirty plus IMG media offices and global sales force. enhancing global rights again. Can't take too much from it. Um, but that is is saying, you know, again, the we are doubling our international media rights deals. Uh, domestic, meaningful is kind of like, what well, is actually meaningful? It's a little bit of interpretation there. Uh, sponsorships, 3X plus in sponsorship revenue since 2017. Um, again, just talking about their sponsorship growth. So that's mainly what they're trying to hit are those pieces. Um, expect them to continue based on the last slide, which was fluff, but told you where they want to go, they're going to do a lot more brand placement licensing, more sponsorships, uh, media rights, and, of course, uh, new forms of content. What that leads to, right, with endeavors creating shows, who knows, but it's, again, a, a not shocking roadmap, service roadmap for your growth. Next slide. Uh, so key financials here. Um, these numbers, again, are all have a bunch of caveats to them. And these are ones where we can take them at face value-ish. But, again, got to read the footnotes and got to know exactly what it's calculating through. And some of the footnotes, right, um, I guess there's going to be info here where... It looks great at the surface. If you did enough digging, it's not that it's not significant, but it's maybe not as great as it seems. But let's just, for the sake of this particular discussion, assume that these numbers are on the up and up for the most part, with no, you know, context that's hidden in those those buried footnotes, where it's like, oh, this actually means this, um, even though that's probably the case in at least one of them. Uh, revenue two point four billion for twenty twenty two. Yeah. That's gross revenue top line that doesn't take into account costs, right? It's not EBITDA. It's not net income. That's just the amount of money they generated before they had to pay anything. $2.4 billion. That's a lot. It, again, it really comes down to adjusted EBITDA, which we'll get to. Um, revenue growth, 10% from 2019 to 2023. So that's over a three-year period. So not bad at all obviously. Uh, but again, it's not a like, Oh, they're just every year growing 10%. It's like, no, they're, you know, it, it's over a, a set period of time. Um, adjusted EBITDA is 1 billion. So that's more take most of the costs out. Um, you know, all that stuff where that's really closer to pure profit. It's not exactly pure profit. There are a couple things that can get taken away for adjusted EBITDA. Um, but for this conversation, that's basically your profit. So, two point four billion in revenue, one in in around that in profit between both companies, right? This is not, um, you know, UFC one billion. No, this is if you combine everything, which is another uh, stat um, or important caveat rather. Uh, adjusted EBITDA margin forty two percent again for twenty twenty two. That's that's a lot of growth margin. That's pretty huge. That's something you want to tout, and I don't think is is really manipulated, right? That's just like, okay, we're out of all of our costs, we're getting this much profit. Which I mean, that's why you have some fighters saying, like, hey, are we getting paid more or whatever? Because that's part of what that circles back to, where if you combine these companies and you again smart in this presentation because you don't know exactly how much percentage EBITDA is coming from each company, but in this case, you know, it's looking at about uh combined which is still pretty good net leverage two and a half times so that's debt right that's how much debt is leveraged against the company uh that's not that uncommon that's actually a pretty good number for this combination given what they um you know given what Endeavor's been through before right like Endeavor had to get special remember when they got their latest loan they had to get you know a special review that said it was okay because they were levered up so much two and a half times leverage is not that bad at all um Contracted revenue, FCF conversion, I mean, yeah, that's fine. But I mean, again, things can change. It's it's important, but it's not, you know, not as big as the other numbers. All right. And then lastly, last slide just talks about management. So to break down the management structure, right, um, you're looking at ARIA manual at the top, then split off into two, you know, um, essentially reporting at an equal level for the most part is uh, executive chairman. Vince McMahon, who will run the WWE stuff. Mark Shapiro, uh, who is the new Co Endeavor president and COO, and then you've got Jason Lubin, who's a CFO, who's kind of on that level as well. Um, but that's that's Endeavor CFO. You have Andrew Schleimer, who's CFO, probably will end up reporting into Mark Shapiro, uh, and then Dana White, Lawrence Epstein, Nick Khan, all that you know is down down beneath pretty much McMahon and Shapiro. That's so it's really Ari Emanuel. Vince and Shapiro and then kind of everybody else for the most part. I mean, the CFOs are a little, you know, different. But uh, yeah, you know, that's mostly the org structure. It's technically Dana White is reporting into a a level that would include Vince McMahon. I mean, he's not going to report to Vince McMahon. It's it's pretty much going to be a firewall, which again, we'll talk about. But yeah, that's that's basically the leadership team for this. So Those are all the new details we have. Let me know if you have any questions about any of the slides we covered. Again, big shout out to Jedi Goodman for putting those up and up there so quickly. Um, But yeah, caveats abound. It's not just all, wow, look at all those numbers and they're fine. Like, nope, read the footnotes, you know, talk about CARG and all that fun stuff. You can go in and do some of the calculations and you'll see, oh, that looks great. Eh, Maybe it doesn't look as great. But it's, it's still a pretty solid pitch with not, in my opinion, too much manipulation um, for investors, right? I've seen far worse. Again, uh, there's a million stories out there right now. So uh, about companies, especially say in the crypto world or other places where it's, those are the investor presentations you want to stay for. That's not the case. Endeavor is established. They have good solid numbers backing both these companies here. Uh, but let me know if you have any questions or any further breakdown on, on that you want me to do. But yeah, great, great stuff and and good to break down. For this particular segment all right so next thing we're going to talk about here and you know part of the why is is just just that the simple question of why did endeavor do this why did endeavor spin off the ufc merge it with wwe through a reverse morse trust and i've heard people say like oh it's obvious i mean they wanted to create the sports entertainment powerhouse it makes so much sense Sure. I mean, I guess they wanted to create this powerhouse and it makes sense. But but again, that's not really an answer to the why. Right. That's OK. They wanted to do this, but it wasn't that Ari Emanuel woke up one day and was like, man, I really feel like combining the UFC and WWE. And so I'm going to make it happen. Right. That's not the answer to the question. Why did it never do this? So why? Why did they do it? When you look at Endeavor's history and the context around this, Endeavor has gotten to where they are now because they are a company that is heavy on MA, which is mergers and acquisitions, and debt leverage. Right? They've generally borrowed a bunch of money and levered up existing assets to purchase new assets they fit or they feel fit within their ecosystem. And by creating an ecosystem, you're able to get synergies and vertical and horizontal integration, which I'm not going to go into explaining what those things are. I mean you can look them up, but essentially it's it's just pieces of the puzzle that seem to work together, right? They do things like purchase on location, which allows VIP events for UFC experiences, right? used to be VIP U or UFC VIP experience. You'd call a number. I remember doing it a long time ago, calling a guy and it's like, hey, you know, and, and some guy would kind of pitch you or whatever. Now it's on location, right? The same guys that did the Super Bowl way back in the day and I think still do the Super Bowl in some cases. Um, you know, it's, it's Endeavor's own brand can now, not only can you go see the UFC, which Endeavor owns, but you can do it in style through a VIP experience through a company that Endeavor owns. And hey, you can bet on UFC fights through IMG Arena, which Endeavor owns, and feeds data into, right? They're the ones feeding into sportsbook. They get cuts and all of that. It's it's the difference between, I think the easiest way I can place it is, or, or you know, metaphor it in in classic fashion, uh, is. It's the difference between a company hiring an independent contractor versus an employee, which is ironic given these companies, right? But, you know, an employee, sure, you have to pay benefits and a salary or whatever, but you generally can get an employee at least at an hourly or salary rate far less than you can a contractor, right? If, if I come in and I'm doing contract work, consulting work for somebody, I'm charging X amount per hour. I have to get my own health insurance to all that. Sure. But I'm getting X amount per hour. But if they can find somebody where they can, sure, give them benefits and healthcare and all that, but which is part of a group plan anyway, and a lot of times, um, but then pay them far less per hour, plus, oh, maybe make them do, you know, same amount of work or more because, say, they're on salary, right? So they're not paid by the hour. That's a cut that goes to the company. This is a similar case in terms of, you know, yeah, they're still having to pay costs for things and all that, but they get more of the consumer's money. Remember, the consumer life cycle, the customer life cycle is king with a lot of this stuff. It's somebody goes to an event, they want to purchase alcohol, they want to... Uh, bet on fights. They want to have a VIP experience. They're paying money for each of those transactions. And if Endeavor owns all of them, that means Endeavor gets all the money or at least pieces of the money through their various assets. So Endeavor is a mergers and acquisitions company where they have gone and continue to buy things that they believe fit in the portfolio. This was another opportunity for them to do that in a unique way by A, not taking on any new debt, which, I mean, given how levered up, that was a smart call. But also, B, allows them to take a lot of synergies between WWE and the UFC, put them together, and help streamline things. Right? I mean, Endeavor's giving up 49% of the UFC to this new company. Where yes, Ari Emanuel is still C- CEO and all this other stuff. And Endeavor shareholders own forty nine percent, so that means Ari's you know shares, or fifty one percent rather. Um, so that means you know Ari's shares. He's still got plenty of shares, and you know, between Ari and Patrick Whitesell and all they, I'm sure that group still owns the majority of this new company. And Vince McMahon, great, his sh- shares are diluted, but he still owns the majority of that new company on the W or or he's still the largest shareholder on the WWE side. He's not anymore the largest shareholder of the new company, which is a big difference. Uh, but, you know, it's it's a scenario where they're able to get a new company where in the front office especially, there are going to be cuts, right? WWE and UFC, as different as they are, also have a ton of similarities. As As much as Dana White doesn't like to say it right he modeled a lot of his initial moves off of Vince McMahon Vince McMahon kind of laid out the playbook of like hey this is a way to do certain things that the UFC kind of copied and now we're at a point where Endeavor can go through and you know cut and and Take away some of these redundant jobs, which I feel for the front office, because again, I think that's going to happen, as well as go in and make changes to the UFC and WWE, which we'll talk about next. But it's another way for them to take a new company, add it to their portfolio, because they obviously believe, as you saw with with media rights deal, which again, we'll get to, that's a huge part of it. But there's a lot of synergies between these two. It's a way to, to add a new company to the list. They couldn't do that for a long time because they were so levered up buying the UFC. This is their next step in doing that. That's what Endeavor does. It's part of the ecosystem, right? Just building that ecosystem as far as you can possibly build it. That's Endeavor's MO. So they did this because it was an opportunity to do that. And obviously I'm sure they did a risk, you know, benefit analysis, all that fun stuff, their due diligence, right? Of course they did. They probably spent a ton of money in lawyers and, and, you know, working with JP Morgan and all these other analysts to say like, Hey, here's the valuation. Here's how this could work. But it it goes back to, you know, the global young audience and the, you know, media rights being a huge part of it, product placement and sponsorships being huge, where both of these companies are leveraging sponsors a ton right now. This allows them to cross promote and brand, Right. It allows them to probably merge some positions in that where some people can just take over all the accounts, cut some jobs. That's always something that, you know, new mergers love to do is, is get rid of redundancy. There's enough synergies there after due diligence that it makes sense to add to the ecosystem. Exactly how? I'm, we will see. Endeavor has yet to buy a company where it didn't seem to fit in the ecosystem and make a lot of sense. I mean, that's not entirely true. They have occasionally, but if they do, then they spin it off again. This isn't going to be this particular scenario. They think that UFC and WWE are enough alike and can work well enough together and they can utilize Endeavor's other assets around it, even though Endeavor owns 51%, right? So it's not full ownership. Doesn't matter. It'll be just like when Endeavor bought the UFC in 2016. They'll still plug it in to various assets. I guarantee you, I don't guarantee, but I will 95% uh, guarantee you that suddenly WWE events are going to have premium live, like backstage meet and greets with superstars through on location or or particular, you know, buy a WrestleMania package where you get to do all this crazy stuff. And it's going to be through on location, right? It, it's just another thing to add. Um, if they get that, I know they talked about doing betting, on wwe matches uh it seems like it got shot down but they've been trying to talk to commissions to then have uh, a situation like they do with the oscars where uh, a firm goes and you know puts it under lock and key attests to like winners are not getting out of the sealed envelope all this stuff blah blah, blah. doing that with wwe matches hopefully that doesn't happen if you're a wwe fan but um regardless you know, they could do something like that. And then all of a sudden, again, odds are being fed through IMG Arena and all that stuff. There's pl- there. Next question, and one I've gotten a lot since this has occurred, uh, is will there be changes to the UFC? Some, probably. But, again, it will mostly be front office, right? If we're looking at a redundant job in WWE and UFC, they will look at who they feel is better at that job or who has more experience in certain areas and they may try and relocate some people, right? Move some people around. Cause Dana White loves to tout like I didn't lay anybody off during the pandemic and all this, of course. Uh, but you know, there may be changes in the front office. If there's clearly a WWE guy who's way better at this, okay, we're going to move them over, um, and, and have them take the UFC job. Right. Uh, you might see some backstage reporting, Right where you have Laura Senko and and Megan O'Levy and all those guys. And then I know WWE has a couple of those. You might see some cuts there um, with talent. But there aren't going to be too many changes. There might be some presentation changes, because I would imagine even though they're different products, there will be certain things we might start to notice about just the production of both entities are aligned because you, again, want to consolidate production so it's the same people putting that together, adding their own, you know, flair based on product. But we might be able to tell like, oh, this is kind of a UFC thing and WWE thing that both of them do. Right. Little, little things. But it's not going to be the UFC side that changes much. Honestly, it's going to be the WWE side. Um, They're going to do Endeavor is going to do what they did to the UFC, where they're going to, I think, trim a lot of the fat. I think it's going to be unfortunate for wrestlers where a bunch are going to get cut, especially, bigger guys who aren't quite top stars anymore, or who don't have a ton of storylines, right? Like they're going to get cut to save money. Um, similar to what WWE was doing before Vince McMahon left. You know, that's going to happen. i Vince McMahon is rumored to be back now and in, in charge after WrestleMania. So changes in terms of that going on, right? I mean, the fact that McMahon is now back as an employee is a huge change on the WWE side. Um, I believe sponsorships are going to be more prevalent. Wouldn't be surprised if in WWE we start to see uh, sponsors on the ring, right? Like in the ring, similar to what UFC does. You're going to see way more. I guess the point is way more of certain tactics Endeavor has implemented in the UFC. You're going to see way more of that shift to WWE's product. There's not a ton of things that WWE has going on right now in terms of at least the actual product itself, where you can translate that over into the UFC. Um, you could, I don't know, th- there could be production changes where maybe they're trying to do promos. There will be cross promotion. Um, I'm sure Conor McGregor at some point will step in a WWE ring and maybe they'll do something where like a WWE, couple WWE guys want to, um, you know, get in the cage, similar to what CM Punk did, right? And, but instead of having them, instead of Punk trying to fight somebody uh, that's actually doing MMA full-time, maybe it's they get two WWE superstars to, like, do a reality show where they, you know, fight in a cage against each other, you know, I don't know, there's a lot of, it's hard to say because they wouldn't want to necessarily hurt talent, but if it's younger people, you never know. Point is, there will be Cross collaboration. um, How much we don't know. Uh, I mean, video games, I think, is one huge area of collaboration uh, that you'll see changes. I would not be shocked if all of a sudden you're getting a ton of WWE guys that are current big champions that are trying to push in UFC games. Like, you probably end up with like a Roman Reigns in UFC five or something. It's like, well, how's that happening? Or, uh, you know, a John Jones or Conor McGregor in the new WWE 2K game that fantasy stuff like that, of course, but not a ton of changes on, on the UFC side. Honestly, it's just not. They're, they're the model, they're the blueprint that's going to be implemented on WWE, not the other way around. Um, could be wrong. There could be big changes I'm missing, but right now that's how I see it. Right. This is again, mostly about efficiency and that, you know, Endeavor is going to get their money worth from this because they're giving up 49% of that revenue that the UFC was generating for them. They have to make that back. And that's basically assuming that WWE is going to make that back through cost-cutting strategies and implementation. That's really what this comes down to. Um, I don't love it for if you're a WWE fan because, again, you who knows how many cuts, who knows exactly how it's going to work, but things are going to get rougher for the talent and front office people, at least initially. Um, Exactly how they implement it because WWE is enough of a business model. It could, you know, kind of change some things we'll see. But again, um, some of these cuts were happening on the WWE side before the sale was announced where big names were getting cut. They got brought back. Um, after Vince McMahon left, now he's back in charge and now they're going to be going hard with cutting people and, and cutting costs. I don't see how some of these names are not recut uh, or there's some other things going. But UFC side, it's going to be business as usual and the same strategies they've, they've kept with. I can't see any major changes. Uh, little ones, yes. Major, it doesn't make sense. All right, so that all being said, everything we just covered, one big change that I think will be happening is the UFC's broadcast media rights negotiations. I do think this transaction will affect those. They alluded to it in their investor presentation, but having both of those media rights up for sale at the same time is a big deal. Um, It's not quite at the same time, right? I believe... WWE is 2026 and UFC is, you know, they can start negotiating towards the end of this year, I believe 2025. So about a year, year and a half off. But now this gives this new company a lot more leverage when talking to potential buyers of their media rights. Keep in mind had Comcast or, uh, any any media company, right? Let's say Fox, even though they weren't really in the bidding. But any media company, Disney, had decided to buy, you know, WWE outright. Because remember, this is more about WWE, even though the UFC is getting spin, spun off. It's more about WWE. Had they decided to buy it outright, they could put WWE shows on their streaming services essentially for free. Their cost is, is baked into the product itself. Uh, now, because WWE makes so much of their money off of media rights, right, you'd have to make sure it stays profitable to an extent. But, I mean, that, think about this. Sort of why, you know, Disney probably regrets, in a lot of ways, not buying the UFC when the UFC was up for sale, is instead of paying... UFC $750 million for these media rights contracts, which is huge. They instead would have gotten a business that might be not quite profitable, right? Since it would have been 29% and would have been much more variable on pay-per-views, but potentially profitable because of, you know, who knows how pay-per-view would have done. And, and depending on other content, and they'd be paying, you know, but even if it's a not profitable business, right? Let's say UFC got bought out by Disney and then there's no media rights deal. So at least, you know, domestically, there still would have been profit actually because they would have had the international rights deals, right? Where they're still working with uh, sources of UK and China, all that stuff. As long as they kept the same roadmap, it would have been profitable. Not nearly as profitable as it is now, but they would have basically gotten a smaller profitable company under their umbrella instead of paying 750. Million dollars that could hypothetically be a eight hundred to nine hundred million dollar net swing, right? Of oh, I could have had a hundred or fifty million dollar profitable business instead. I'm paying seven hundred and fifty million dollars. Same with WWE, right? Seventy five percent of their revenue, their one point three billion revenue comes from media rights. So. Between gates, live shows, all that. Maybe you buy WWE if you're Disney or something like, and it, you know, it's not super profitable, but it's way better than having to pay an exorbitant amount for media rights. And the other piece of this, right? So now that this is done and Endeavor has this, they've got the media rights deal secured because these two entities are the the two next biggest things outside of you know the big four major sports right you've got football american football uh hockey basketball baseball those meteorites are are like the four crown jewels right if you want to go marvel with it they're they're the infinity stones and then you could say the fifth is Essentially, a combination of either WWE or UFC. It's one of those two. I know it doesn't make sense in a Marvel context. It's just saying. But th- those are the big four. And then the next two best that you can get are UFC and WWE. Don't forget that when Fox opted not to renew the UFC's broadcast media deal, or at least not pay what they wanted to, what UFC wanted them to, they did that because they were acquiring WWE's. SmackDown, right? They that was viewed as an alternative. That's no longer the case. This new company now wins either way. If this new company now goes to the, the deal with Fox, they could say, "Which do you want? Do you want do you want SmackDown? Do you want UFC?" And he says, "No, we're not paying that much for UFC. We'll do SmackDown." This new company could say, "Well, actually, you have to pay at least this much. So you can pay a little bit less, but like you got to pay closer to what you." we were asking for and it pushes it up quite a bit that doesn't even take into consideration the fact that although the renewals are coming up at different times this new company can now basically say look we can work out a deal here right where you know you buy ufc now and i depending on when the negotiation period is right, you can't technically work out a deal at the same time, but I mean, it builds a relationship, right? Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. It's business where they can pitch it as like, Hey, buy the UFC now. And when WWE comes up, maybe we'll, you know, maybe you can double up on it and we'll give you like a, a little bit of a discount because maybe we don't think WWE can get double the media rights we're expecting. We can for the UFC, uh, Maybe we do, you know, uh, a 1.8 total. So instead of doubling both, we we one8 would give you a little bit of a discount and now you get both. Or, you know, maybe we double it. Maybe you have to even pay a little bit of a premium if you want both, right? Like I know how badly you want both depending on the appetite because we know Netflix, we know Amazon. Netflix has talked about, Amazon has, has really been about it. Um, Discovery. Been, with the new leadership there, he's been making angles for the UFC. Maybe it's you know, hey, you pay both and you pay a little bit more of a premium, but we can guarantee you're you're going to be taken off in terms of your content, right? Your subscriber growth is going to go through the roof. Trying to launch a new app, trying to launch that new uh, HBO Discovery Plus, whatever it's going to end up being. I think it's just Discovery Plus. Hey, you pay a little bit more than double for media rights, for uh, UFC and WWE, your subscriber growth is going to be insane. You're going to be able to go into your next shareholder meeting and say, hey, we've had, we got 50 million subscribers, three months. Largest subscriber growth in history. You'll be able to tout that to your investors. Not a bad pitch. Not a bad pitch at all. It it opens a ton of doors. In a best case scenario, they're going to get, a combined deal that's worth more than what they were going to get on their own. In a worst case scenario, they're going to win the deals out the same way they would have as two separate entities and still make a ton of money. That's all flowing through the same place. And that's how Endeavor is going to make their money, right? When two thirds or or, sorry, not two thirds, three fourths of each company essentially is made up of media rights you want to own all the media rights and Endeavor has experience selling media rights, obviously with the ESPN deal, right? And that's something they can leverage on WWE side to probably get a better price. It's all going to come down to broadcast media rights, but that's where this does affect the UFC and their upcoming deal. Cause now the stakes have changed. Now, if you're trying to negotiate or play hardball with the UFC and use a tactic of, Oh, well maybe I, You know, I'm Disney and maybe WWE is a little bit more. They'll do PG for us. And, you know, uh, that's more of our brand anyway. So maybe we get that for ESPN and do all that. Can't do that now because you're talking to the, you know, same person. It's, It's the old, can I speak to the manager? And they turn around and put the same hat on, right? Like that's what this is now. This is not a different person you're negotiating with. It's all one company it drastically changes those negotiations, changes the landscape of how those rights are going to come up. Because as I've said on this podcast, for both of these companies, the landscape was looking a little bit rough because of the overall macroeconomic environment. Not a lot of companies, right? They're, Disney's doing layoffs. Uh, Apple's doing layoffs. Now, a bunch of people are where it's it's not a great time to go and ask somebody for double what they were originally paying. This gives them less alternatives or at least the same alternative, but now the money all comes through you. So maybe a company is like, Nope, I can't pay this no matter what it is. I can pay this for WWE. Okay. If that's the best deal, great. And they'll take it. But more than likely, they'll be able to get much closer to their hundred percent AAV that they're targeting with wwe under the umbrella because that's their biggest alternative competitor we we've seen it affect their negotiations before it's now off the table that's massive so that's where i will say it it does change things i think that wraps up uh, at least this portion of the podcast i'll do quick hits here in a second but um, let me know if you have any questions about anything i covered on the business strategy here the why the how it's going to affect things again I think there's going to be a pretty hard firewall with UFC and WWE. A couple of crossovers here and there. Um, You know, some little things. But for the most part, it's still going to be the UFC being most of the same. WWE will probably be shifting. Um, But this is just Endeavor's MO, right? Acquire a company, put it into the ecosystem, build those synergies and vertical integration, get as much cash as we can through the customer lifecycle. That's what they're doing here. Um, so yeah, any questions or anything on this again, this is a, a great nerd out moment for me and no, I did not know ahead of time that this was coming for sure. I mean, I, just to clear the air on that, I occasionally hear things from secondhand, like I can almost never report like, here's a breaking news because I have secondhand knowledge of something. And so I, there was a little ping or two on the radar, but I, you know, this wasn't a, Oh, I knew this was coming and I was super sly about it. No, it's, it's, you know. I saw it as a real possibility and I talked about how last time this is the why this week. So again, I'm not, I'm not some crazy insider here. Uh, a couple of you have suggested that I wish I wish, but I'm not. Uh, but again, let me know your thoughts on everything. Um, you have any questions on this? Cause there's a lot to uncover here. A lot to unpack. All right, super quick hits here to cap off the show. Let me know if you like quick hits at the end, too. I don't, I don't know if some of you do or not, but if you do, let me know. Um, Grant Norris Jones is named as the Senior Vice President of Global Partnerships to the UFC. Very interesting choice, right? Because this actually came out before the announcement of the merger. Um, Paul Ascencio or, uh, or Asino? Sorry, again, terrible at pronouncing names uh, is leaving, but not like wasn't ousted. He's going to do uh, F1 stuff, I believe. So it was kind of like, hey, he's leaving. We need to promote somebody. So, yeah, this comes, you know, an announcement that's just, I think, four or five days or maybe not even uh, before the announcement of the merger. So you got to assume because it was, you know, an official press release, all this great Norris Jones is going to stay ahead of global partnerships it's not a synergy where they're going to take a wwe guy and knock him out you never know but i would assume based on that um you know you're doing a press release for it i'm thinking you he's probably gonna stick around will wwe's equivalent stick around that i don't know um but because they are different enough products i would imagine you're gonna keep most of the same teams maybe it's lesser teams right account managers um or or partner managers they might get trimmed but the high guys you figure you got to have one that's in charge of UFC and one WWE so I would imagine WWE counterpart is okay but yeah interesting interesting that that happened just a little bit before uh the merger announcement and then the other quick hit we have is that BKFC has inked a deal with rumble distribution so that is interesting indeed right this is the same company that is now hosting slap fights and they have made a deal with bare knuckle, which bare knuckle again has been their last event, especially right. Like, I mean, these events are now getting more into like bigger name MMA stars retiring, going over to do bare knuckle there. BKFC is making a name for itself in, in that sport. They're doing, they're doing what they need to do there. Uh, but through the press release uh, rumble, the video sharing platform announced today, bear, addition of bare knuckle fighting chip to its growing roster of live sports leagues. Uh, BKFC will kick off its rumble distribution with a press conference for BKFC 41 at the Palm casino resort for Tuesday, April 4th. So that's a happening hosted by Dave Feldman, etc. cetera. Uh, with over 80 million users, rumble is growing at an extremely fast pace. That's what president David Feldman said. Uh, they're making combat sports a big part of their portfolio type would I guess slap fights is, part of that i don't know but i mean rumble's obviously trying to make some inroads in that space uh, we couldn't be happier streaming bkfc events on rumble it's the start of a very big partnership uh rumble chairman and ceo chris pavlovsky said we are emerging uh quote we are emerging as a leading platform for combat and action sports leagues which makes the addition of bkfc even more exciting so again that tells you that uh bkfc is excited because they got a you know, partner, streaming partner. So they're getting the media rights deals, not to the extent of WWE and UFC, but they're getting some paid for that. Uh, Rumble is getting excited because they're getting their name out there. They're starting to build a portfolio that will help any valuations or help them grow to build their own ecosystem. So in this case, Rumble's trying to be an ecosystem. BKFC is the product that's trying to get the media money, right? It's just what we were talking about, just on a much, much smaller scale. That's the only quick hits I have. Let me know if I missed anything, but uh, that's all I got for you for this week's episode on quick hits then. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Fight Business Podcast. Really appreciate you listening, especially on this topic, because I love this stuff. Uh, if you're listening on YouTube, make sure you hit the like, subscribe, bell notification. If you're listening on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, what have you, always appreciate and love you guys. For this particular episode, highly recommend... Uh, You either check out the YouTube or you at least go to Twitter and follow along with the slides. Just go through the thread uh, that's there. Uh, But great stuff in that regard. And um, yeah, until next time, y'all get money.